We didn't even leave the driveway. Daddy had to pee. Welcome to the Pain Points Podcast. My name is Ben, and I'm joined by Michael. Hey. Caleb. Hello. We're here to just complain. All right, Michael, since you're so... Since you're, you're you're so tired, let's start with you so you can sleep through the rest of them. I, well, I mean, I even not tired, I sleep through the rest of them. So, it yeah. so what is what is your what's your problem with Instagram or what is your problem with iPad applications just in general? I thought the the pain point was off of Instagram. People have complained about this for a while, so it's not really like an original OG thought process that I've got going on over here. But I am, and we'll allude to it later is we were going to speak more of iPads, but, and I use an iPad as my main computer, except for stuff like the Skype call, but I technically do record like the audio on, on my iPad. Like, so it, I do a lot of thinking about like iPad applications um, and how they're different from, I guess, you know, what you would call an iOS application or an iPhone application. And the problem with the iPad is not as many people have iPads, basically. Like the iPhone is Apple's big cash maker that is the one that everybody else has there are way more people who just have iphones than ipads than who just have ipads and no iphone or have both so the majority of your app makers are going to make apps that are good for the iphone and then if you're lucky they'll make an ipad compatible version and if they don't they might make a kind of version of it they might just like build the application for the ipad and it's like it's not designed well um but certain applications, uh, Instagram specifically, they just don't make an iPad application. They never have. And for something like Instagram, where you would think it's something where you're looking through pretty pictures, and what would you like to, what kind of device would you like to use to look through pretty pictures? A device with a big screen that's perfect for just viewing pictures and reading. I would adore just having Instagram on my iPad. I would use it more i would enjoy it more than you know just scrolling through it on the phone and what gets me about it is i can't give you a compelling reason why any other application any other thing really i like i could find a reason why they're doing something and i might not agree with it but at least i'm i can think i can see why they're doing it i don't see any reason why instagram wouldn't offer an ipad app when all they've got to gain out of it is I'm going to use it their product more. I'm going to enjoy using their product more. I'm going to see more of the ads that they put in front of my eyeballs. And thus, they'll make more money if they give me something that's I'm going to consume more of the platform um, with. So I, I just don't see it. And I, for in, the Instagram side of the pain point, that's all there is. I, I don't understand why they don't make one. The broader problem is people just kind of neglecting the iPad as a platform. Even though it is a smaller, like in Apple's iOS ecosphere, it is a smaller segment. Probably, you know, 10, 15% of the iOS device supply iPads. But they still sell 10 million a month. That is, oh, not a month, a quarter. 10 million a quarter. It's still a significant number of tablets. There are hundreds of millions of iPads out there. And these are devices that people use for a long time. I've got friends who still use an iPad 2 with iOS 9. It works for them because they don't need something super powerful. They need something to view YouTube on, view Twitch on, and you know if they had it, the option view Instagram on. They don't. They're not doing computing work on it, but they still use these devices for years. And 
these uh, companies just don't put Vsauces into their iPad applications. They are some a lot of times just their iPhone application. They're like, oh, we've got more screen. Let me just move the menu over here, and you're just going to use it like you're going to use it on a phone, right? And that's usually not the case. Like some people might use it. Some people might actually use the iPad in your vertical orientation. I don't do that. I never do that. I'm I'm completely a horizontal person because it's not a laptop, but it's more in the laptop sphere. You can use it more as a laptop. You can put it horizontal. And many of the applications on the iPhone, of course, are vertical because if you ran the numbers, most people can use their phone in the vertical orientation almost all the time. Someone might hold the phone sideways to watch a movie, watch a video, but they're not using, they're not controlling the device for the, the most part in horizontal mode. So to make a good iPad app, you need to consider someone holding it vertically, someone holding it horizontally, someone using a key themselves to a big screen, like Twitter, for example. I can scroll through a Twitter timeline on my phone, and on the iPad, it's like, I don't need three panels. Some power user might want three panels of like, here's a list, and here's my timeline, and here's my DMs, and I can have everything up at once. I just need a scrolling bar. But some apps, like, legit do much better on the iPad than on the iPhone, and I will use them as such. Any typing application, any notes application, where I can see, like, here's all my notes, and here's the note I'm working on, and that can be next to each other, whereas on the phone, it's like, I can only type on the screen in my note, and then I actually have to scroll back to get to menus to view other notes. Same with Safari, was like, I can see two things at once on the iPad, and I like that, and it's something I'm not going to do on the phone. But it takes the app developer adding resources to these iPad applications um, or at least updating it every once in a while uh, for the iPad only features like I said the keyboard and the multitasking support and I think it's something that does hold the iPad back a bit just as they're all good iPad apps but there aren't a there aren't a ton of good iPad apps but I, the Insta, who the Facebook who owns Instagram but the Instagram team whatever you know makes an iPad app makes says there are hundreds of millions of people that would enjoy if we just put this and made a good version of this on the iPad. And, that, and I'm cool if you just make something and then you can go back to adding your features to your iPhone version, update your iPad version every year. You can let the interns in the summer do that. That can be the little project like, hey, fix our iPad app. That's that's really it as an iPad user. I, I There's like many other things about the iPad application ecosphere that I could dive into. It's like, please let, you know, focus on these things. But the more you dive into that, the more power user and, you know, you know, 15% of iOS devices that are iPads become the 2% of people who mainly use an iPad with a keyboard. And it's like, I get why you don't have to add full keyboard selecting support because nobody is going to be like, I need to be able to shift arrow to select my items and move them in two keyboard commands. Some people like to do that. And there are all the apps that allow that, but I'm not going to ask for that from Instagram. I'm just going to ask for, give me the application so I don't have to expand my iPhone app. That's it just an app in general would be nice for Instagram. Since we listen to a lot of the same podcasts, they're generally podcasts about like independent developers who have very, very limited time compared to larger corporations like Facebook who owns Instagram. Um, I think if Instagram was run by independent developers, it would be more, I wouldn't be as confused why they don't have an iPad app. But since they have Facebook, who has essentially unlimited man hours, I don't know why they haven't just thrown an, an Instagram iPad app on, onto the market. 
you think like yeah like the people it is like you said the solo developers what's like i have me i have my 2000 hours a year to give and i need to roll out features for my phone the the instagram app is like i don't know what they're working on they've they've i don't i have not looked at how many people work at instagram but i'm assuming it is hundreds uh if not thousands of people they have 800 million active users a month that is an insane amount of uh, <laughs> of people viewing that content just like that's more than so there's facebook who has billions and then there's instagram who has almost billions and then there's twitter who has just over 300 million so like instagram is still almost an order of magnitude larger twitter. than <laughs> and twitter has rolled out yeah. ipad apps forever <laughs> any any app that's worth worth anything is like here's an ipad app and and the and the the and most annoying part of it is it would be perfect for the iPad because like I said, it is look at these pictures and on the iPad, here's a big screen to look at pictures on. Who would like hundreds of millions of iPad users, eight hundred million Instagram users, put them together. I, I'm not sure that Instagram is meant to be for professional photography. Like if you look at up close photos or okay, so the use case for Instagram is take a photo with your phone, post it immediately. That was the original concept, yes. Right. And now it's become like this kind of weird meta business for Instagram and like advertising and influencers. But Yeah, and that one, and like the whole when they rolled out Instagram stories, it's like here's a here's an here's a feature where you don't have to post exactly what's going on like right now. Like you, <laughs> you can have you, you can kind of schedule this like and like you said, it's for the influencers. Yep. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge, influencers. Like, yeah, in the original concept, it was, we're just going to make phone apps because we want everyone just to go take a cell phone picture, post it to our platform. But in the throughout the years, they have upped the resolution. You can get full resolution images on Instagram now. It's not just like the old like 480 by 480. So they would display fine on a tap, you know, laptop screen. They, you can go. There's an Instagram website for God's sake. Like that is what I half use on the iPad to view stuff, and it's not a great user experience. But they will happily show you on Instagram.com your Instagram feed. You can scroll through it on a big giant screen if you want to. Maybe they think that's just fine for the iPad. I, well, they may also be taking some strange like development stand where this is what this platform is meant to do and it's supposed to be mobile and follow you around on your little like pane of glass in your pocket but i I, I still don't see why they would they would choose that hill to die on yeah definitely when the ipad is a you can put cellular in it and can be a mobile device it has a really nice camera in it actually and people technically do take pictures they i see it so I was at the Grand Canyon yesterday, and you know there was someone taking a picture of the Grand Canyon with an iPad. They pulled out their iPad from their massive fanny pack and snapped a photo of the Grand but, Canyon. But you, it happens. It's not like it's oh, you know, it's a rare case you never see it. No, that's people do that. Like there are people who use an iPad as their main like get up and go camera. Yep, my mom so, took my ring photos with an iPad. Yep. So there's that. And they used to not have a good camera, but they put the iPhone XS camera in the new iPads. Like, it's got the camera. So if I can take pictures on the device, why can't I then instantly gram it to my, my Instagram? But can't do that. I mean, just, nah, we don't want you to. Yeah, that's strange for the use cases they seem to want. But 
And I think they well, definitely just like throughout the years, they've added all these features to compete with the Snapchat, so your YouTube's, you know, the IGTV, the oh, that's so Instagram bad. Stories. IGTV was a terrible idea. Right, but how much? How many man hours of do you think they had to dump into getting live video support going, compared to let's build an iPad application, which yeah. you could probably give to a good developer and he could figure it out in a month. Well, they also, I think. The Swift, if they if they created the original app in Swift, which I don't think they did, Instagram launched before 2014, yeah. right? Yes. Uh, so it would be an objective C. If they and? if they decided to rewrite, if they decided to rewrite it in Swift, I think Objective C has size classes too. So yeah. both of those have size classes to where it like Marco with Overcast, he he does not code in Swift. Yeah. And he may he is an independent developer that's like. Here's my iPad application. Here's my iPhone application. Here is, you know, he, and he doesn't go into the iPad application all the time. And, you know, so, sometimes it's a little bit like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with all my, you know, windows and all this information. And it's not always presented in the best way, but he still figured it out. And if Instagram has hundreds of devs, why can't they just, they can give me the worst app. They, just make the iPhone application, put it on the iPad, as long as it's native res and it's not two times scaling because I'm running an iPhone application. That probably takes an afternoon. Yeah, I, I think that we're kind of we're kind of stepping on Caleb's toes as far as this topic goes. <laughs> well, we're leading we're leading into his topic, which is well more research. So now people are like, oh, here's the guy who actually knows what he's talking about, unlike us two Ramulos. Yeah, we're saving him to like make <laughs> to bring like what's the word like? We're bringing in the ringer. I don't know about ringer, but <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was that's what I was looking for. I'm just setting it up. What is it? To bat it, he's a cleanup hitter. There we go. That's that's what I was. Yeah, I, I'm the lead. I'm the I'm the weird like lead off guy who's like debating if I want to get a walk or not. It's like that's not exciting. It might work. I'll be the sad early two thousand Astros that strand who, hit, who hits me into a double play. <laughs> yeah, those strand batters on on bases. Well, at least double plays don't strand you on base. That's true. Well, yeah, that is true. All right, Caleb. I think I think we've we've teed it up for you as well as we're gonna. So if you want right. if you want to take us away with your user experience, have that, buddy. So my topic this week is user design and technology. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I think we talked about it last time on going to the Apple Store while I was playing around with the new MacBook Pros, and I found that I absolutely hated the keyboard. Uh, just a little background, the new MacBooks are a lot thinner than their previous iterations, and this is particularly an effort to make it a more portable laptop that doesn't require a fan to cool the internal processors. Um, and as a result, the keys on the keyboard became shorter. Uh, now, I currently have a MacBook Pro from around the 2015-16 time, and I love this thing. Uh, and I've had it for a while now. And the design changes that are coming to the Pro and the keyboard specifically got me thinking a lot about physical UX design and how people consume technology. With the thinner keyboard on the new MacBook Pro and the thinner keys, uh, I didn't have the physical feedback I want out of a keyboard. The keys were wider and they flow more into each other. Mac and most keyboards that I enjoy, there's typically either some sort of spacing or a divot between the keys and some slight distance on the key presses that I think make it easier to digest. Really flat keyboards with keys that flow into each other are more prone to mistakes, in my opinion. 
Um, and when using the new Mac, I felt like I was trying to press the keys a lot harder than I needed to. And then more physical responses of the keyboards that I like, uh, they give me those immediate feedbacks and I can sense through touch or I can use to feel out my positioning on the board without having to look at the keyboard because of the certain spacing that's present. Um, the keyboard on the new MacBook Pros kind of reminded me a lot of the early Windows Surface detachable keyboards. They typically felt like really thin, kind of cheap, and they weren't as responsive. There were two kind of big ones that I remember. There was one, it was pretty flat, but there was, all the keys were the same size and it was all kind of together. Uh, and it was kind of made out of plastic. And the other was felt, and the plastic one, uh, I didn't have a lot of the key pressing, so I felt like I had to hit it harder, and the felt one wasn't as responsive as I wanted it to be. So uh, I thought about that, and I was basically like, well, if I hate interacting with this keyboard and I have to use it all the time, then why would I buy it? So with those design changes coming, and the keyboard specifically, like I said, it got me thinking about physical UX design, and kind of where technology is going, especially with tablets, like we talked about with the iPad. Most people today, outside of college students, don't fully need, like, need a full laptop. And with the rise of popularity in smartphones, most people's needs are already met. Your work or your company typically provides either a desktop or a laptop uh, to do your work and take care of your primary needs. And most consumers pretty much just use their smartphone to surf the internet, use the apps that they want. Um, so unless you want to do something like gaming or coding or just prefer having a computer over something like a phone or just enjoy that experience more, then you might not even need to drop the money on like a powerful laptop. And this kind of goes into the, the design, I think, that it really plays in and how people kind of consume this technology and where it's kind of going is best showcased through tablets. Uh, specifically just the Microsoft versus Apple. One kind of the joke that people have is that Microsoft seems to do something and nobody cares. Then Apple comes up with the same thing and it sells like hotcakes. So as a background of tablets, there have been a lot of variations that have been in development since the 80s. Um, Apple, I think, started in about 1988, 89, something around there with some sort of rough ideas. Uh, the 90s saw the popularity of the Palm Pilot, and the 2000s had the introduction of smartphones and the popularization of touchscreen technology. So back in 1999-2000, Microsoft attempted to create a Microsoft tablet PC that was really focused on the business sector. Uh, things like healthcare, note-taking for meetings, people doing field work, and it pretty much just bombed in the consumer sphere because it had several issues. First being that it was really heavy and it couldn't be held with one hand, um, and it didn't have a lot of apps. And one of the other things was that the tablet software for the operating system was basically just Windows XP translated onto the tablet. Fast forward, uh, after that kind of collapse, it's 2010, Apple introduces the iPad. And it's considered a giant leap forward in tablet computing, and it sold extremely well. It had about 15 million unit sales uh, during the first year, and it outsold all PC tablets during that time span. Uh, Microsoft then responded in 2012 with the Surface, which we see commercials for on every single football game humanly possible. Um, and when it came out, it featured the lovely Windows 8 operating system that was just terrible. Um, a lot of people didn't enjoy the user design for this, and it kind of was the root cause of a lot of issues um, because they tried to create an OS that was designed 
for tablets and desktops. Uh, there were a lot of desktops during that time and laptops that really kind of pushed touchscreen. So you could interact with the computer through a keyboard and mouse or just simply touch it. So they wanted to kind of create a cross amalgamation between the two. Whereas the iPad, when it first came out, the idea behind it and how you'd interact with it was through touch. Uh, when they first came out, basically people thought, like, oh, this is just a giant iPhone without the ability to call. Um, but it was also really simple and really easy to use. People were already used to it through the use of their iPhones or their smartphones. They could click their apps. It was pretty handy dandy. Um, it was really simple to use. And so they just created an easy piece of technology that was easily accepted into people's lives. Microsoft themselves, because they wanted to create Windows 8 and this operating system that sort of did everything, it's really reminiscent of the early ideas about the Xbox. Uh, Bill Gates told the original Xbox team that he just wanted to put Windows on a gaming machine. So the idea was you just had the box, you hooked it up to your TV, and you basically just ran Windows. And then you would play games through Windows Player or whatever and, and play the software through that. Um, and that initial idea is kind of something that we really see today with you know gaming consoles. Xbox One is basically just an entertainment device rather than only a gaming machine. Um, but they wanted to run Windows like a desktop and make it play games. And that's kind of the same way that they launched with the Surface and with Windows 8 specifically. Um, and it kind of created it for really confusing products. I think a lot of people had real difficulty going th from Windows 7 with, with its real simple design that was like all around desktops because you've been used to that for so long to something that tried to jam in a lot of functionality based on touch and ride or die on that hill. So all of this is really just to say how important UX design is to technology and its adoption into our society. Because even the greatest software program means nothing if no one uses it. I write programs for my job, and I really have to keep this in mind because as people are doing analysis, um, if my way isn't easy for them to understand or I can't prove to them that this is going to make their life a lot easier, then they're probably not going to use it. And it's just going to die, and I've wasted hours on that. Microsoft did, though make a lot of updates to their Surface. The new Surface Pros are pretty powerful machines. And after they updated to Windows 10, they fixed a, a lot of issues, and they're starting to make strides into the right direction, trying to find their footing between a laptop and a tablet. Uh, I mean, they still have a lot of catching up to do. iPad sales in 2017 was totaled about 43 million, whereas the Surface was something around 3 million. So. Pretty big distance. Apple pretty much dominates the entire market share. Um, they do a really good job with it, and a lot of it, I think, is credited to, needs to be credited to anyway, their approach to the UX design and the OS specifically, because they didn't look at it and say, all right, let's just put Macintosh on here. They said, let's put the iOS. People are going to use this for touch. How are they going to use it every day in their life? And then they made it easily translatable so that people didn't have to worry old people could use it, people who weren't technologically smart could use it. Um, just the general populace could use it without having a big learning curve, whereas the early surfaces with OS 8 and Windows 8 had a lot of those issues. And I think going forward, you know, the entire market is really pushing 
for more portable, higher performing devices. Uh, and it just kind of seems like the natural progression of things. If people can buy a tablet at a lower cost than a laptop and it can still function the, uh, and take care of all their needs, then it's a clear winner. Most websites already that people use already have their own variation of the app that people can have on their smartphone or their iPad. And that takes care of a lot of their needs through you know, communication and social media and wanting to watch funny YouTube videos or writing down some notes. It's kind of the all-in-one. And it actually comes in cheaper than a laptop. Um, so I think going forward, we'll start to see sort of a meld between laptops and tablets. Um, I think a really interesting idea for the future would be to have something kind of like the Nintendo Switch where you have a tablet that you can carry around and it's super portable, but you can also have a dock and to have a full desktop functionality. So it knows when it's a tablet, it knows when it's a desktop, and it knows what you need at those right times. Um, and I just think that'd be a really cool idea. Um, but you know, as we continue forward, UX design is going to play a really crucial role as tablets and smartphones become more integrated into our society. Right now, most web traffic is dominated by desktop and smartphones. Uh, tablets have a small section of it, but by no means do people use tablets to search as much on their desktop and smartphones. But smartphones are really starting to outgrow desktops, and soon they're pretty much going to dominate the search sphere. Um, and, and so, as new technology comes out, and as you know, the pivotal fight of of PC versus Mac and what's coming out with this technology, I think they're really going to have to think about UX design and be really careful about introducing it into the marketplace. Otherwise, you could have a, the first iteration of the Windows tablet, which was a huge flop. I, I, I wrote notes down. My, my field notes booklet was too far out of reach, so I used an index card. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, yeah, I wrote no, down notes too. Okay. Um, wow, well, we, I, I feel... I, see. I went and grabbed. I went and grabbed my notebook because I had stuff I wanted. To Caleb, write down. say Caleb is so structured and professional that it gives us time to be structured and professional with the notes we're taking at the same time. <laughs> so it really just brings us all up to a better level. Yes, um, I don't know about that. Down, well, I'll, we'll link in the show notes. There, there was an article um, about the 2015 MacBook Pro that I still think is very true about it being a, a very good laptop, and that's since that's the one you have, we'll, we'll link it. Is that the that's the that's the one that a lot of people considered the the, the best MacBook the best Pro, right? yeah it, it was like the last iteration of that form factor from 2012 the Retina the first Retina MacBook Pro and they just mm -hmm. did everything right with that machine after down their fourth fourth attempt basically I did I did want to there was a lot of bashing um, on Windows 8 which I I have to why I'm standing here go about to try and defend it a little bit. Um, <laughs> A little bit, <laughs> a little well, bit. Well, so the, origi <laughs> the original idea, and this this ties into uh, you talking about the, the design of uh, Windows or Microsoft deciding, hey, we really want to build this one OS that run runs on everything versus what Apple decided to do, which is we want to build a touchscreen OS from the ground up, and this is what we're going to use on our touch devices, and then we're going to have a Mac. If you like using your Mac and your keyboard and mouse, that's going to go on your Mac, and that's why Macs don't have touchscreens yet. That's why iOS devices, all the touchscreen devices run iOS, basically. But Windows, back when 8.1 was coming out, they were building out this thing called Windows Phone, which is long forgotten. But when the iPhone came out, this was before the tap, 
It's also not around. It's also not around yeah. anymore. No, right? this it, this this was a major failure uh, from the company. But this was the design they were going for. Was Apple said came in with the iPhone and said we've made this whole new OS. And Windows was like, okay, we can play this phone game too because Apple was the only one in this town right now of like this new generation of smartphone. This Android was not here yet, and so Windows was like, we can build this one OS, this Windows 8, which is going to have this touchscreen support, and then we can market it that you can run Windows on your phone, banking on Windows being a big, like, branding force. Like, everyone wants to run Windows. Definitely back in the 2000s, it was a much bigger deal to run Windows than it is now. So building this operating system that was half touch, half, uh, you know, half keyboard and mouse was, in concept, I think a good good idea i think the phone the phone obviously did not work out at all like that was a major failure people just didn't want it and and part of that was because windows 8 was just such a hot mess but there was a reason for them to go touch with it it wasn't we're just going to make touchscreen computers for no reason it's we actually want to use this on the phone and if i think if it had worked it might it might have been pretty cool like the you know the met, that metro ui design worked much better on their phones. Like if you're going to touch and use it with your finger to swipe through those Metro cards, that makes way more sense than throwing it on a 24-inch desktop computer and being like, well, I can't even touch my screen. Why am I clicking on these big buttons? Like it's it's long forgotten that they were doing that. Yeah, and I I do think that does speak to, to, I think, an idea that Microsoft had and that was cross-compatibility across you know, all your devices. You have your phone, you have your tablet, you have your computer, just seamless transition between the three. And it's something that I think Apple has done really well with. I I have an iPhone, I have a MacBook, and I love that I can just airdrop things across the two, that I can share a lot that's there, you know, it backs up everything that I need. And that's something that I really appreciate because it makes it makes things like uh, data sharing and file sharing really easy. If I write something down on my phone, I can just boop, drop it right onto my computer, and then I can start work from there. Um, and I, th- I think that's great, and I think that's probably what you know Windows 8 was supposed to try to accomplish, was that you could use a Windows phone and a Windows computer and a Windows tablet seamlessly across each other without having to worry about you know software interacting with each other, Android or OS. If that, if that software had been better... I think it might have gone somewhere. I, I think it was a think very the, sound the, concept. The biggest sin Windows 8 committed was trying to do too much too soon. I think that the idea of integrating your mobile and your desktop environment is a good idea. I think that Windows 8 was skewed far too much in the um, in, into the mobile device um, realm, where instead of trying to woo enterprise customers into having a mobile device that integrated with their with their desktops they went the other way and tried to get casual consumers of like windows phones to move into their desktop environment if that makes sense i'm not sure if that's exactly what they were thinking about but it just seems like they saw the numbers that the phone market was growing way faster than the desktop market and just said just thought to abandon their desktop market for this new phone market well, and, it, and it's it, yeah, it makes sense. It's uh, it's it's another difference between what Apple and Microsoft did, which is what well, Apple made a very basic OS to start with, and we have sl- they've slowly added features, and that's been one of the problems with iOS is like 
we waited two years for copy and paste. How could you have an operating system without copy and paste? But you build this very tight like OS, and then you start adding your features to make them really good on these touch devices. Whereas Microsoft came in with this desktop OS and was like, well, we can't do some of this on the phone. And they started taking some stuff out, and it could still do a ton of stuff, and it couldn't really do it that well because it really wasn't designed for touch. They were just like, oh, well, if we just make it so that your finger is a mouse, it's, uh, it's going to be good. It's going to work. And I think that, you know, that's the wrong way to look at it. Like, I, I've more enjoyed the let's think about it, let's make it right. And again, that, I think that's part of the downfall of, like, what they will. Yeah, they, what they inevitably. They went this weird direction where they started to pare down their fully fledged operating system to make it more useful in the phone space instead of starting small in the phone space and building it to a full operating system. They kind of went this strange opposite way where they messed with their desktop um, environment instead of messing with the windows environment. They started like messing with their, the, the base of what everyone that used their operating system knew. And that backfired horrifically. (laughs) Oh yeah. The whole thing was was not a good, did not not work. I do think that some of the philosophy behind Microsoft, at least when, in kind of the approach to a lot of the technology that they've, they've gotten into since the 2000s, like with the Xbox or with with the Windows phones or the Windows tablets, is that they start from the perspective of how can we put Windows desktop OS on this device? Compared to, you know, Mac was like, all right, you know, we have our desktop OS, now we're gonna create something completely different around this idea, we're gonna create iOS. And I think Microsoft is, is definitely making a lot of strides in the right direction. I use Windows 10 for work and I don't mind it. I, I like it. Um, I think it's a heck of a lot easier than using Windows 8. And I think with their tablets, they're in a key position within the market to create something, like I said, that's sort of similar like the Nintendo Switch where it can do everything. It can be your desktop and it can be a tablet all in one. And I think if they go that approach and continue to make you know more powerful tablets that are basically just laptops condensed, I think they they can at least get a niche market or or, or funnel out their hole. It definitely, they stumbled at the beginning, but I think they finally found their footing. From everything I've heard from people who own a Surface, admittedly my my sample size is really tiny. It's like one or two people. They love it. Like they, the the surface has been great for them. I, like most of them are using it to play like card games, which is are much easier. They're, they're much easier to play using like um, using touch rather than a mouse. It's more intuitive to like use these virtual representations of physical items with your hands rather than with a mouse. But I, I kind of want it. So I kind of wanted to step back to part of the UX that you talked about at the beginning of your your segment, um, specifically the <laughs> specifically the new the new um, keyboard. I like it. <laughs> when, when, last time I tried it, I I went and I was like, okay, this low travel is gonna be awful for a little background i have um a mechanical keyboard with blue switches which are very loud high travel like just the most obnoxious keyboard that you can possibly have especially if you have like roommates you can wake them up in the middle of the night 
just from like typing out text messages or whatever. Um, but when I, I went in expecting to hate the keyboard and I kind of loved it, there's just enough travel to where you know that you've hit the key. Just enough. It's just enough travel to where you know you fit the key, but the tactile feedback makes it obvious that there has been a key press made. And I think that the low profile of the keyboard is just, it's great for what they want it to be, which is a very, um, a very portable keyboard on a laptop, on a very portable laptop. However, I can't speak to, um, can't speak to like the longevity of the keyboard, which has been a major complaint with that keyboard is it has, it has like, you get a speck of dust in it and it will, it, it, it will croak. It'll die. Yeah. 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 So that's been, I can't speak to that because I haven't had one for a while. I do want to say that in terms of mechanical keyboards, I really love mechanical keyboards. Uh, I think it's, I mean, to me, it's kind of like running like Naruto. Man, you may not type faster, but you feel faster. <laughs> <laughs> like you're just ripping through it like, oh, yeah. Click, 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 click. Like I'm so, I'm in it. It, it just, just feels, feels nice. nice. Just you feels feel like nice. you're just going in there. I just love the response of it. Just a little clicky. Uh, absolutely horrible if you're in any working environment with other people. We can get quieter. You can get quieter switches, but you can get quieter I, I to- switches. I tone down to brown. I don't want look. those. Yeah. You know. All right, Michael. You had. Some, I, I saw your face. It looked like you had something to say before Caleb started. Well, he he had talked a little bit earlier about you know consumers uh, buying. Uh, you know the, the laptops and the t- and tablets, and how tablets have not exactly gotten into the foot in the door. And I think and there's a there's a large majority of um, the population. I still feel that definitely uh, older people that still believe that they need a laptop and just don't know they don't need one. Like like he was saying, you can get most of your work done on a tablet. And I think for a majority of people, they could. It's just we've over the last 20 years built this mental model into society. It was like, well, you've got to have a personal computer at home to be able to pay your bills and do basic internet stuff. And that's not true anymore. But I think that the belief that you need a laptop, like my mom will still call me up. It's like, well, I need to go on my laptop to, you know, to do this thing. I'm like, you don't, you, you could do this off your phone and anything you can do off your phone. You could do off a tablet. I, I don't think the majority of Americans now need a laptop or any computer at home. Like Caleb was saying, jobs give out computers. If you're a developer, they give you a computer to code on. If you're doing graphic design, they give you something to do graphic design on. If you're just at home, like doing whatever you do at home, just surfing content or watching videos or doing basic internet surfing, I don't think you need a laptop. And I don't think a majority of the people need a laptop. We do because we do wheeled, we do gaming or we might do multi-recode podcasts so host massive photo libraries but not ev- not everyone does that i agree a lot with of people that don't i, do I that. think one of my mental blocks is that i need windows like I, I need to be able to see multiple things on a screen at a time like i need two or three windows open um and the ipads especially are not conducive to mul- multitasking in the way that i multitask they are very good at multitasking, but not in the yes. way that I enjoy multitasking, which is why I like having five billion windows open on my on my laptop. Well, <laughs> but again, I think that's a you thing because how many people do you help during the course of the day? Where they've just they're just running oh, no, 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 no. Chrome 100%, full screen. One hundred percent. That I think the tablets, 
or just your phone is probably better than I think just having a tablet or a phone at home is probably better for most people than having a fully fledged desktop or laptop. One of the things I've noticed with just myself is that I don't think that I'm going to ever purchase a desktop again. I think that my like I'm essentially going to relegate it to being a, a, a console that I can use to play video games and that'll be it. Like instead of buying an Xbox or a PlayStation every generation, I will just be upgrading this giant brick that I have in my house. And after, like, from now on, it's just going to be laptops because I can take them somewhere else. I can go to a coffee shop. I can have it on my stomach as I lay in bed and my neck is at a 90 degree angle and I type like a T-Rex. Like that, like, that, <laughs> like that's my I, use I will case say the now. the bed thing, that I think is the biggest case. Like, why do I want a laptop? versus a tablet. I can't support the tablet on my <laughs> stomach and watch videos while I'm in bed. I have to hold the phone. I don't like that. Maybe somebody invents some giant plastic piece you put around your head and it just holds it, but yeah. I think the the putting the laptop on your stomach and then typing like a T-Rex as you watch YouTube videos. I think that's <laughs> that's my major use case. That's yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the, that's use the best usage it. case. Yeah. <laughs> like you sit there and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to code something or I'm going to play this game. And then you lay on the couch while you have Netflix on in the background and you're just tippy, 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 tip. Oh, yep. 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 I, I think that the convenience of laptops and I, I, I think most normal people do not need a complex operating system. I think that iOS is more, has enough complexity built into it for a normal user that they should probably have some operating system like that where all of the ugly rough bits and pieces that developers see are kind of filed off or shoved really deep down to where they can't like hurt themselves on them well i think that's very important definitely when you're giving these devices to parents to grandparents like i would much rather give an ipad to any one of my extended family members than try to give them a new windows laptop and say like hey just use this like the ipad People can figure that out because it's like their phone. This the Windows PC. Like, I get why we want to use it, but I, I don't want to be tech support for my uh, my family on their. Oh, family tech support is rough. <laughs> where, where where did my uh, where did the internet go? I closed the internet. No, you I didn't shut close down the, the whole internet. <laughs> uh, I had one. I had one small last point, which uh, this is more back into the UX design. The latest iPads have. Uh, USB-C now out so that you can plug it into a monitor and have like it as a secondary display. And so what Caleb was talking about was like the idea of docking these devices. Samsung has had it with the phone where you can plug it in and plug it into a monitor and it like, or docking stations, like here's your keyboard, your mouse, your monitor, and now you can use it as whatever Samsung desktop OS thing they've got, which I don't even want to know what it does. But, but I think with the, with the tablets, oh, the phones, even if you can do that well, like, I could totally envision a future like some wireless thing was like I put my phone down next to me and I've got like my monitor here and my mouse and my keyboard. And if I put it down and have all that set up, it just turns into something else. And if you do that through either that or your USB, you know, docking station, it keeps it so that your normal users, if they don't have the docking station, don't have to worry about it. 
They will never see it. It will never get in their way. It will never add complexity to their lives. But for the people who want the complexity, the people who want that, we can add that on. And I think that when you're doing good design, that is one of the hardest things to do, which is add features, but don't don't affect the people who don't want those features, but make them easy enough for people to either discover or for people like me to use. And those lines get blowed real fast. And that's where you start having these like iPhone tips that like go viral, like, oh my God, you can hold down the space ball to move the cursor around. It's like, yeah, that was there. It's always been there. And it's just like, here's something, and it's like they there was no good way to present that for a power user and make it for anyone else to find. So it's just like really poorly just implemented. It was just like, here's this. But Apple's more, Ale's more on the side of like, we don't want to increase complexity. We don't want to have like another button and people are like, well, what does this button do? So they just kind of hide it. And so then no one knows it's there. But anyways, back to the docking station. It's a good idea. I hope more people add features like that. <laughs> so I've had an issue, not necessarily recently. Yeah, this is not a recent issue, but I have a tendency to start projects that are way bigger than projects I'm capable of handling right now um, or in my current form. I get really, really frustrated when I have an idea and I can't actually carry it through. So one of the, one of the things that I that's recently, well, not recent, that has happened relatively recently, like within the past year was I've started running more and trying to run more. I got running shoes. I got all of this other stuff to make sure I didn't hurt myself. And then I go out and I run way farther than I should be running. So when I first started out, I would run a 5k and then be sore for five days because my body had no clue what was going on. Um, recently I got diagnosed with patellofemoral syndrome, which apparently runs in the family. It's, it just means that there's a muscle imbalance between my thighs and my calves and they don't like, they don't like it. It just, the more I run, the angrier my body gets. So it like throws a fit. Um, I, I got shin splints when I first started running. It was just an absolute mess. I ended up, I, I did end up completing a sprint triathlon. So I am in some sort of shape at least, but it, I, my eyes tend to be bigger than my stomach when it comes to a lot of my projects. Um, a more recent example was I had an idea for an app and then I started coding it and realized that I was way out of my depth really, really quickly. Um, especially when it came to, um, iOS development, which is what I was, what I was doing. So I kind of, okay, I can't do this. I'll take a step back. Um, move on to personal projects and then realize that those projects were, <laughs> were also too big and way out of my depth. So I, I'm at the third part of moving that back to where I've got to train my programming muscles. I've got to train um, my coding brain back. I've got to start doing more programming math and just stuff like that to build up to um, a point where I can actually do the kind of development I was doing when I graduated college, which has been three years working on three years now um for my job i do systems administrative stuff so that that is more i have i have to push through and learn things um if i bite off more than i can chew i have to like sit down and break things up into smaller smaller bites which has been an issue um those that i can usually 
take because I have 40 hours a week to work on it at least. Um, but if it's just personal projects, I, I don't have that much time. So I have to train myself instead of forcing myself to do it. And even, even on the job, I've had a couple of projects that I've started um, or I've added to my backlog that have I've kind of sat down and realized I can't do this right now. I don't have the knowledge to do this. Um, we can't implement this now just because I don't have the skills. So that's been that's been pretty frustrating um, to deal with. Um, one of the counterexamples within my life that I've had is lifting weights. Weights there is you are you can either get the weight up off of your chest or up off of the ground or you can't. There's a solid number where there's a line that says, this is a number I can lift. This is a number I can't lift. And man, that has helped. That, that's been something that has been helpful for my brain. My, my brain works in numbers. So if I see a number go up, I get a, sh- I get a shot of hormones that are like, this is good, fun. <laughs> this is fun. This is good for us. It just bigger numbers makes me happier. Or like small numbers that get bigger make me happier. So lifting has been something that I've, been able to control um and i've been able to pace myself just because there are actual physical limits and it's not just like i would like to be able to lift 300 pounds but i can't even start doing that until i break it down into smaller and smaller chunks by working out days and days and days and i think that i think that i'm slowly beginning to have a grasp on taking chunks that i can actually manage and building projects from it. And I think that I've learned enough from like lifting weights to be able to do that. Like, especially with editing the podcast, I tried to sit down one day and then edit this entire podcast. And I can't, it's like, it's editing podcast takes so much more work than I ever thought it would. It's like, I was thinking, Oh, it'll be three hours for an hour of audio. And no, it's like four or five hours for me. And that'll be something I get better at. But I have this frame of reference and I have numbers to go along with it. I really wish that there was more there were more things that had very obvious numbers. <laughs> like coding. I wish that I had like you are coding level seven. And I know that there's stuff online that'll do that for you, but I want to be able to like I have knowledge in this area, not necessarily in the areas that i want to i want to know where my skill level is give me a number you, wa- for that. you want that coding Just skill cake. tell me a you num- need it i i want <laughs> runescape's another pain point that we'll have to bring up but like as far uh, like i i just want i want to know what my skill level is so that i quit spending two or three weeks on projects that i don't have the skill for and i i, I don't know how to i don't know how to deal with that i think this is a silly problem to have so it frustrates me more like the more i run into this the more it frustrates me just like how do you guys deal with this is this something that y'all even like run into it was a ask atp question a couple weeks ago about what 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 about being like what part about being a developer have you brought most into like your normal day-to-day life and they, they were talking about like just the concept of like Part of being a developer is breaking these massive problems into very small bite-sized pieces and working on them. Like you can't develop this an application without thinking like, well, for an application, I'm going to need this and this. And then it's like, okay, well, what do I need for step, you know, the first part of this? Well, this has four different parts of it and then working on those four parts. And I think 
anything, you know, when you're talking about like trying to start running, not a marathon, but running any d- amount of distance, uh, starting any project, like, you know, for putting this podcast up, it's not just like, well, I want to put a podcast up. Well, how do you put a podcast up? Well, it's like, well, we need a show topic. We need topics and a format. And we also then need like websites and stuff. So it's like, okay, let's split that up. So let's get stuff recording first and then we'll worry about the whole like hosting it side and the whole artwork and notes side of it and then it's like well, okay for recording what do we need well we need people and we need times and we need uh equipment and okay okay so then you just start splitting this stuff up and eventually that's how you get a show but just saying i'm gonna you know do a podcast i'm gonna write an app it's that's the end goal obviously but it takes a you have to think about how you're actually going to accomplish that and so how am I actually going to end up splitting this up? And I, I do do a lot of uh, thinking about how I am going to split up these projects I want to do. Uh, and, and sometimes it doesn't work. This, and sometimes it's that's not for me. And I did my two or three weeks and I decided I'm, I don't like doing this. Or maybe I did two or three weeks and it's a lot of work. And when I have more time, I'll read look into it I think for me at least like video editing is one of those types of things so it's like I really want to produce videos I really want to go shoot video I really want to edit video it's just such a learning curve that I'm not there yet whereas there have been other projects where I take a stab at it and it's just not not really for me but I think it's important to always try the things and but and also realize at the end of the day like this I like doing this. I want to get better at this. Oh, I didn't like doing this and I don't want to get better at this. Oh, this was really hard and I should focus more time on it. And then just balancing out which which of which things you should want to actually use your time with. Yeah, I, I have a really bad habit of, oh, I'll come back to this and never coming back to it. So that's a pro- that's another problem that I'm having to work on. But. With some of this, uh, like biting off more than you can chew also comes along with just like starting a new hobby. Uh, really for me you know I have my biggest hobby or the longest running one is that I play guitar I played guitar now for about 14 years um, and you know I still learn new stuff and practice different genres of music and all these things and I'm still constantly learning I put myself you know above like an intermediate player um, just you know I've been playing so long I write my own songs and and all that fun jazz but one kind of thing I see a lot, and, you know, I'll go on YouTube and, you know, look up, like, all right, if I'm like, uh, I really want to learn some bluegrass licks, then I can go on YouTube and I can kind of look up tutorials of people who are like, hey, man, here's kind of some of the style, here's my trick kind of around it that I can use and then build upon and learn. And looking at all that kind of stuff, I, I kind of see this question come up a lot in, you know, either internet forums or just on Reddit or whatever, and it's just, how do I start like playing guitar or I think you see it a lot in coding too of just like hey I really want to get into coding where do I start and then you have a bunch of people that are like well what do you want to do and I think it gets really hard for people who don't know it because you don't know what you want to do um out of the three of us I have the least coding experience um I mean I didn't really start coding until I got into college and you know, I learned a lot of kind of like theory and, and was more self-taught and just kind of learning languages and, and stumbled a lot. Stack Overflow was like my best friend when I found a project I wanted to do. And It's, it's everyone's um, best friend. <laughs> but once I kind of found a project, like 
you know, I have this analysis that I have to run constantly. I don't want to do that. Or I can take care of the formatting. How do I do this? And starting off with that, and then I wrote the code for that. And then I thought, okay, well, you know, I did that. What if I took it one step further, or one step further, or one step further? And I was able to find a project, kind of an end goal, to help me. And now it's, it's, I've built upon that, and it's really helped guide me through um, the atmosphere of coding. And I think that's kind of a thing that can just be, in general for hobbies, whether it's guitar or coding, is just like finding something small that you can start with and then building on it and building on it and building on it and building on it. And it can be hard to find that starting point. Um, I freely admit that. But I also think that we're in a crazy time compared to, you know, somebody 15 years ago or, or even 20 years ago in terms of hobbies because you can really research them really easy. The internet, you know, YouTube have been great friends of mine for learning something new. Um, when I'm kind of interested in a hobby, like uh, I've gotten really into beat making um, and trying to learn all about like music production software, which one's this, which one's that, uh, what, you know, tr like beat pad should I go with? And having the internet there is a great resource because I couldn't go to a library and like, hey, you got any like <laughs> books on how to make lo-fi anime hip hop? <laughs> They'd be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. But You could go to the library for yeah. that, but it's a lot harder and there are less resources than there are on the internet. Yeah. That's why libraries used to have like sheet music. Is what, That's what you would basically do is like, I'm going to go get this song and I, you know, you don't have the post and telling you how to play it. You just like, I, you kind of pick it up and you just rented the sheet music. So yeah, you've got better learning tools, but that's what you used to have to do. Yeah, just check it. I think a lot of I think one of the worst pieces of advice that I've maybe it's not the worst, but it's a really terrible piece of advice that I've seen thrown out a lot, especially when it comes to coding is find a project you want to do and then do it. And it's really great. It's really great if you have a base, Yeah. like if you have a baseline knowledge of something, but if you'd have no frame of reference for something like if I wanted to learn how to play guitar, I, w I, I think that it would be really silly for someone to say, okay, here's an album, learn how to play this album specifically and not have, um, and not say, okay, you need to learn scales. This, these are the major, um, chords that you will need to learn. Like, I, I feel like there's an academic base that you need to have before you start, um, like larger projects, at least. I don't know if that's just me being maybe conceited or um, pessimistic. I think it'll make the I think it'll make the process easier. I think with coding, you know, I I read a lot of like coding books, and um, there are a lot of great online tutorial references that you can do. Code Academy is a great one mm -hmm. where you can just start to learn kind of, you know, the basic things. Because really, once you know a language well and you understand the basics of how coding works, then learning another language is just learning its syntax, learning how it is, but having the logical process of how it works and how you go would go through something, it becomes a lot easier. And so when you approach that project, I would definitely say that you have having that basis is like, okay, I know I need to do something like this 
now I can go find it, and then I can kind of understand what's going on. Because otherwise, if you're just thrown into the fray, you can get really overwhelmed and just be like, oh, screw it, I just quit. Yeah, well, I, I was thinking specifically, I, I'm going back and reteaching myself how to code almost from scratch. So I started off with big O notation. And I think that something like big O notation, which which allows you to be able to determine how well your algorithm will scale. I think that big O notation is very, very important if you are doing any kind of math over large data sets. Um, so that would be something that I think that beginners would need to know where that would be something like learning your chords when you're playing a guitar. It's not it's not super essential. You can kind of not chord scales, excuse me. It's like it would be um, like learning your scales where you don't need them, but it's something that will help you build a base later on. Like you'll have a stronger foundation for everything that you do in the future. And it, it, well, especially for big O notation, it kind of tells you why some algorithms are better suited for specific cases like sorting algorithms. Um, some of them are much, much better on the large scale versus um, some of them are fine enough for the small scale kind of thing. I don't, I don't know. It, that, that's a, that's a whole nother tangent, but it, it suffices to say like maybe you, you do need like the academic grounding for learning more intense. It, I think it depends what you're doing. I, I think the problem with co uh, talk, coding is more like when you're talking about these projects, the, the best like, project i think that you know is feasible for anyone to say i want to learn coding because i want to do x is like i think a website like you because it's something that you can kind of throw up there and it's like and then you see the result and it's the easiest thing for someone to understand like what when they're designing a project like it's not what the actual coding world is about like we're building weird applications but that's not really what you're going to design with having a project i think with music you're, you're talking about something that's much easier in terms of what your project is because you can start small you can say and there's, you know, there's a reason like Wonderwall is a big meme, but also like it's if someone picks up a guitar, it's like playing Wonderwall is a great like this is the I want to pick this up to learn this. And then you can dive into what Ben is talking about, your scales and your codes and like you can learn more of these. But to actually have an end goal of your project, you could learn how to play Wonderwall without knowing what what an F code is. You could just you don't need the F code right now. You can say, oh, this was like actually fun to play out. Let's let's look at these other codes later. But you can at least have an end project that you can feel good about. Whereas with a web, like building a website, you need a lot of like base knowledge to even get that off the ground. That is, that's true. I think that maybe uh, maybe my scale was off. Maybe instead of learning, like big O notation would be learning scales and chords, and then building a website. Or actually, a better example would be building a fully fledged web app would be more like writing your own album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, if, to stay on the music and learning guitar kind of thing, I mean, you, whoever starts, I mean, I think having a song is always great if you if you want to learn that. If you're like, you know what, I really like Wonderwall. I'm free bird. Sing Wonderwall because it's, yeah, free bird. It, it, but, you know, Wonderwall is four chords and that's pretty much it. Um, but you know it's it's a, it's a pretty good song to start the basses on because all you really do need is the four chords and a guitar, and you can start to understand kind of how basic song song structure works. Your hands are starting to get used to it. I mean, it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination, but 
you know, for me, one, I found it was worth it. It was something I was really passionate as a child with and even into my adult years. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's kind of something you see. I mean, to me now, looking back, I'm like, wow, it's so easy. But I've also played this thing for, for years, and I've gone through the frustrating part. And at the beginning, I had a teacher for a, a couple years, maybe about two years. And then I moved, and I just I didn't get a teacher for guitar. Uh, I used a lot of online resources. I used YouTube. I used ultimateguitar.com. And one of the things I think you see is just, to like play music. Like they're just like, yeah, just go do it. Like don't just stick with one style even. Just just try a bunch of genres, see how you like it or how you feel about this. Because that'll help expand your repertoire. And you know, that so music's kinda weird with that where I think I do think having a song is like the start and then you get into more complex things and then you can start getting into more music theory and improvisation. Because having that music theory for improvisation really does help you. Um, knowing, you know, how notes work on a guitar scale. Uh, so that way, when you're listening to a song in A, you know exactly where to go. You're like, all right, yeah, here, these are, this is how I can do it. I'm not just playing a pentatonic up and down on, you know, the fifth fret on the E. I'm playing it all over the neck. I'm up here, I'm down here. I know exactly where each scale kind of translates across the neck. So... Okay, maybe music. Well, music is not a terrible analogy for it, but I don't know. I, I think the internet's been a great resource, but it. I, I I think the more I read, the more I'm instant or the more I'm encouraged to pick a big project to take on, and that's just like you hear about people coding an entire web app in two months, which, as someone who's working a job and has not really done f serious development work in a while it's that's been tough it dep also depends how how you want to go about a project and how you want to learn something with a like a big web app like if you complete in two months you're not learning what you were calling you know your fundamentals as much you're, you're trying to get to the end goal but you're not like really hop you know structuring your things like if i finish a song my, whatever i write is not going to be as like I don't know the backgrounds of what Caleb would know. Caleb's going to know the scales. Whereas I like look at them and I'm like, Oh, that's cool. There's a scale. I, I kind of know what that is. And then I like move on, like all the theory, I just kind of move on. So the same thing in a, in a project, like you could write it in two months, but do you want to do that? Or do you want to like sit back? It's like, let me learn some big O notation. Let me like unit test stuff. Let me learn like these fundamentals of how best to write this code. And if I build that foundation and then build a project, it's going to be a, it's going to be a much better. And like, I'll feel like I know more about the whole coding thing or the whole music thing than if I just like finish this project because then like whatever I do next is going to have look like my other project because I don't know I don't have the building blocks set up. Yeah. All right. I'm going to wrap it up since we're getting close to time, but maybe I think one of the issues I'm having is that I if I write something I want it to be the best that I can possibly do and the best that I possibly can do is better than what I th think I can, or better than what I can currently do. So with coding, I would want my web app that I'm completing in two months to be a well-structured unit tested, um, clean co code, uh, would have to be very, very clean. Um, I would want everything to run smoothly and to run within a reasonable amount of time to where I could go if I needed to go back and improve. Uh, something I would be able to do that. I would need to document code, 
um, double check on libraries that I would be using, etc. And I think that that's a tall order for such a, a small amount of time, I guess. Plus, I, I feel like it, once you have a better base, you can learn. You can learn more efficiently, maybe, and retain information. I do think that quote from Adventure Time, of all places, I I, I think it's a, a really good quote. It's just uh, sucking at something's the first step to being good at it. I think is how it goes. Yeah, I can agree you know. with that. Yeah. On that note, we will uh, we'll leave you guys for another uh, two weeks. Um, don't forget to rate us in the iTunes well, the store. iTunes store? The podcast or We're official. I don't Yay. know. In the app no, it's store. It's whatever it's, it's called. Oh, it is the it's iTunes store. Oh, it's all your Apple podcasting is the correct. Yeah. Yep. Don't forget to rate us. It's how people will find us. It also gives us some good feedback on what uh, we do good and what we do poorly. Besides our personalities, those are pretty set in stone. It's too late for that. So just give us the give us the one star, say personality, or give us the five star, say looks. Oh <laughs> yeah, looks on an audio show. When you're that bad looking that they can tell <laughs> f- through the audio that all three of us have faces for radio. So, all right, guys, see y'all next time. I got an after show. You have an after show? I do. So I had I had to rent a car this weekend. Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, to drive to drive through, you know, Utah and Arizona, and this car had Wait, this. Twenty five. Oh wow! Oh. oh, let's not talk about age. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's a pain point for another day. Which I don't. I, we're not going to get into. But th- it, this car had this this thing. There's this metal protrusion from a plastic piece that you had to stick into the automobile. To make it start. No. <laughs> no. I'm just talking about keys <laughs> <Yes>. again. <laughs> keys are the worst. And, and after having having the stupid fob for a month, like every time I, like for the last, oh, not month, year, for the last year, I hit unlock on the key. I put the key in my pocket. I sit in the car. I hit start. Vindication. Every single time <laughs> this weekend, press unlock, put key in car, sit down. I have to start the car, and I have gloves on because it's cold. The keys are in the pocket, so I can't get them out easily. So I'm taking the glove off because I already put the glove back on, taking the key out of the pocket, switching hands, putting in the car, trying to turn it on. It is the most annoying process. You have no idea Every how time this it, makes me. And you sit because you sit down, and the key jabs. It jabs your leg. It's so bad. Everything about the key is bad. Thank you. I like I. I Both of you are the worst. <laughs> I want you, Caleb. You need I, just drive, drive a push to start. No, I, car. I, I have, I have <laughs> driven a push to start car, and I, I do like it. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Like, drop the key in there. Or I don't have to take it out of my pocket. But my car has a normal key, and I'm fine with it. Sav- it's not like savage. you know what? Nope, can't have this car. <laughs> so what? I know I live in the Stone Age. <laughs> so by my normal when it, my workflow getting into a car and starting it is. <laughs> open door take keys out of pocket so i have i have this fancy thing where you can put your hand in between the handle and the door and it'll unlock the door for you too no 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 caleb i'm about to blow your mind so what i do is i put my hand there while my keys are in my pocket i pull the door open i sit down put my foot on the brake 
push the button and I'm ready to go. While I had a key, this was what I had to do. Take my keys out of my car, push to unlock the door, open the door, take the key, jam it into the ignition, put my foot on the brake, turn the key, and then now I'm driving. Not only that, but the key jams into your thigh and it's just unwieldy and gross instead of being like this nice, like this nice plastic river rock that you could just like, if you wanted to, you could just take it off of your keychain, just like it just be smooth and you could skip it across the lake where a key, if you take it off the keychain and you try and skip it across the, the lake, you're going to stab and kill a fish, Caleb. It's sharp <laughs> and dangerous. And keys are the worst. Give me push to start. I, I don't think that I'll ever be able to drive a car with a metal spear on, in it anymore. Look, as someone who, who works to just automate a lot of processes, this just has me very conflicted between what is the point and yeah no of course like removing one second from the process is the entire goal that's the point one second how many like how long does it take you to start your car if you cut that by five seconds how much of your life are you saving twice a day 10 seconds oh, a day well, at least i get me. no okay hold on i have to i have to assume what day i'm gonna die because i'll just assume over 50 <laughs> years assume over 50 years Okay, let, let, let's every, see 50 it, so, years. I don't know. That's 365 days every single day. So for me, it would be about seconds 10 seconds, second, but, but two times a week, or two times a day at least, to work back home. So I'm going to do some I'm gonna do some napkin math here. So 10 seconds times seven days times 52 weeks. It would save you 12 and a half hours in the next 25 years. That's a lot of hours. It's 12 and a half hours. Yeah, that's a pretty good amount of hours. I could be sleeping with those hours. Those are hours I could sleep in or go to bed. No, early. You're still going to sleep at the same time. <laughs> it's five extra seconds for you to check your phone before you start the car. It's not always Launch about up the time. Spotify, it's, it's put on your driving music or podcast, and then you're, you're off. So sometimes time, like sometimes time saving is nice, but it's not like the five extra seconds to a problem. It's just like, I've got five extra seconds. Like if I'm setting a timer with my Google home, like it's easier, but I, I honestly don't mind setting a timer on my phone or the microwave at the same time. It's just saving me a little bit of time. This was, is the actual annoyance because every single, because you are so used to putting the key back in your pocket that every time you sit down, it, the key is in your pocket. And then it's not the time you're saving. It's the annoyance factor. It is, I just sat down and now I've got to take my gloves off. Now I've got to turn around in the car seat. Now I've got to fish the, this key out of my pocket. Now I've got to do. It's all the extra steps. That's fair. That are the pain. No, it's not the, t the time. The convenience is worth it. it re regardless, if it took the same amount of time, the convenience is worth it. I take most most of the time my keys are actually in my cup holder. So I know where they are. They're always in my cup holder. So my keys, my home keys, and my, let's not get started on just keys in general, that's but my right. home keys and my work keys <laughs> are in a cup holder. <laughs> and I can just take them out of my pocket and throw them in there and then start my car and not have to jam a metal thing into my car and then turn the metal thing. Like I'm trying to bleed it to death. Like it just I just like how most people are like, yeah, no, this takes three, five seconds. You know, it's just a normal process. I don't think about this at all. 
And yet you two are just like, no, this is it is absolute it is the abomination worst. of life. This is the worst. That's the idea of this podcast. <laughs> this is built on keys. It's built on blowing small you things sit on a throne of keys. Of <laughs> That's it. Cause cause with keys are stupid and I'm out. <laughs>